bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is uh, Robert J. Shapiro, uh, who's uh, written a new book called Futurecast, How Superpowers, Populations, and Globalization Will Change the Way You Work and Live. Welcome to the show, Robert. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here, Jordan. There certainly are major changes going on in the world uh, these days, and uh, you get into many of these and how people are going to be affected by them. Uh, I think overall you talk a little bit about globalization. Just kind of give us a sense of uh, the importance of globalization and how it's it's reaching people in ways they may not feel uh, they're they're really expecting right now. Well, I think the... Uh, The first thing to understand about globalization is that this is not simply international trade writ large. Um, In traditional international trade for centuries, it was really about advanced economies buying commodities from developing countries, usually bringing them back home to turn them into manufacturers, which they then sold to... Uh, their own market, and to other advanced economies. We're seeing something entirely different today. First of all, nearly a third of everything that's produced in the world, all the goods and services produced in the world, are now traded across borders. This is an order of magnitude nearly greater than we've ever seen before. And this trade is not the kind of the traditional pattern. Instead, we've seen the transfer of whole modern business organizations to developing countries and the transfer not only of production, but that production has been broken down into um, scores of different parts that are then distributed among many developing nations in a network of production and distribution and finally sale. And the result of this, we've seen two big results. First, the results for developing countries have been very rapid modernization, much more rapid than we've ever seen before, particularly in China and now in Eastern Europe as well. Uh, but in addition, uh, and the consequently the uh, lifting of hundreds of millions of people out of poverty in those mm-hmm. countries. Um, and globalization has been pretty good for the U.S. macro economy. Um, the, the United States is the most globalized major advanced economy in the world. Forty-four percent of our exports go to developing countries. Fifty percent of our imports come from developing countries. And 27 percent of our foreign direct investment is in developing countries. U.S. U.S. corporations have really led the world in creating these global networks. And... The macro economy has benefited from the efficiencies of those networks. Yet most uh, people are threatened by these things, even though that's true. Uh, most people in America feel uh, that all this globalization is taking away their jobs and Well, uh, you know, so they're not entirely wrong. This is the, this is the irony we're, we're, we're seeing, and that is that globalization has had, while it's been very good for growth and very good for productivity in the United States, um, it's uh, we've had the strongest productivity gains in the last five years of any period since the 1960s. Um, it it seems to be affecting the traditional link between how fast the economy grows and how many jobs it creates, and how much productivity rises and how much wages increase. So that um, in the following the uh, 2001 recession, for example. Um, it normally, if you look back at the recession, the recover, the initial recovery in the 1990s and the 1980s, it usually takes about 18 months to get back to pre-recession job levels. This time, it took 52 months. If we, the the Bush administration, has been quite proud, it seems, of creating about six million jobs um, in the last six years. Well, in a comparable period of recovery. In the 1990s and in the 1980s, 
the U.S. economy was creating between 15 and 18 million jobs. And you're saying the jobs have been created, they just have not been created here, they've been created overseas. Well, they're not being created here, and they're, uh, but the real issue here is that we've got the growth to create the jobs. Um, the growth shows we've got the demand, but um, it's not translating into normal job creation. The same thing is true in the relation between productivity and wages, where we've got very strong productivity gains, which in the past have produced real wage gains. In the 1990s, productivity rose an average of 2.5% a year, and the median wage in America went up 2.2% a year. Well, in the last five years, productivity has gained 3% a year, and the median wage hasn't gone up at all. Now, I think that... You know, the easy way to think about this is simply that the jobs are being exported overseas. That's really not what's happening, even though that's that's the easy answer, but that's not what the data show. The expansion of China, for example, that hasn't cost many jobs in America. Where it's really cost jobs are in places like Thailand and Taiwan, um, and Korea uh, and Malaysia and Indonesia, the places that U.S. manufacturers shifted their jobs to 10 and 15 years ago and which are now can't compete with China. And so they're shifting. Is that because the Chinese are much lower wage cost or better yeah. quality or is it a combination of the two? Well, it's really there are a couple reasons. One is uh, they're cheaper. <laughs> they got the cheapest wages in in Asia. The second is everybody wants to be part of the Chinese market because they think it's going to be one of the biggest markets in the world. So you want to have a presence there. Um, that's important. And the third is that China has lifted um, almost all of its restrictions on foreign direct investment. And so it's easier for U.S. companies to transfer entire business organizations to China than it is to Indonesia or Malaysia, where there's still a lot of restrictions. But the, if we look at the, for example, at the data on uh, the number of, of jobs abroad in U.S. multinational corporations, it's hardly increased at all in the last five years. What's happening to jobs and wages is not, not an issue of direct outsourcing. It's something much more complicated and subtle than that. What's really happening here, Jordan, is that the main effect of globalization has been an intensification of competition. Competition has gotten a lot tougher across the board because you've got the whole world participating now, and you've got things being produced in very low-cost countries where the technology is just as advanced because we've exported all of our technology there and where the business organization is just as advanced because we've, we've transferred whole business organizations. So competition has become more intense. And the first impact of more intense competition is that it's harder for companies to raise their prices. Mm-hmm. We've seen this because inflation has been very low until these oil shocks. Very low, not only in the United States, but across the advanced world, despite the fact that we've been putting a, an avalanche of capital into the system, has gone into the system. We've had very expansionary monetary policy and global on a global scale and on a U.S. and, and at the U.S. level. And yet inflation has been very tame. The reason is because this intensification in competition has been holding down those prices. Well, the problem is, what do corporations do when globalization intensifies competition and their fixed costs rise rapidly? When their health care costs go up 100% in the last seven years, the employer provided health care costs have gone up 100%. The employee side has gone up another 90%. And the pensions and, and other things as well, yeah. And in addition, we've got energy. The cost of energy has more than doubled. 
Well, what do, what do companies do when they've got these significant costs rising very fast, but intense competition won't let them pass along all those cost increases in higher prices? They cut other costs. Mm-hmm. And the costs they're cutting are jobs and wages. It's the indirect effect from globalization that's really cutting into the jobs and wages of Americans, not the direct, not direct outsourcing. So, which means that, you know, what you would want to do about it is different. Um, what you would want to do about it is get serious, finally, in this country about reforms to slow the rate of increase in health care costs. Can we actually have to go to a break, Robert? We'll get back to this more. Uh, again, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Robert Shapiro, who's got a new uh, fascinating book out called Futurecast, How Superpowers, Populations, and Globalization Will Change the Way You Live and Work. We'll be back right after this. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, the Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, the Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is uh, Robert J. Shapiro, uh, who's come out with a new book called Futurecast, How Superpowers, Populations, and Globalization Will Change the Way You Live and Work. Uh, Robert is co-founder of Sonicon, which is a private firm that advises U.S. and foreign businesses and nonprofits. He served as the Undersecretary of Commerce under uh, President Clinton, um, and he's also the uh, Vice President of the Progressive Policy Institute. Welcome back to the show, Robert. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Jordan. We were talking about the, uh, particularly the effect of uh, higher energy costs and food costs kind of accelerating the uh, cost pressures on companies. Uh, everything you talked about in the book has actually intensified even more lately because of soaring oil prices and food prices. Maybe talk about that a little bit. Sure. Well, you know, the soaring energy prices in particular, um, this, is, this is also a, uh, ultimately reflects these new dynamics that are driving everybody's fate and path. Um, 
demand for energy has been rising very fast, naturally, because we've just come out of the fastest five-year period of growth in the global economy on record. And this is really being driven by energy demand, um, by the fast modernizing and incredibly fast-growing economies of China and India and many of the Latin American economies in the re- in the last couple of years. And the Middle so, East as well. The Middle East itself is in a boom. Yes. And so we've had, look, look globalization produces uh, enormous economic progress at a macro level. Uh, the real problem is that not everybody is benefiting. In fact, in advanced countries, the majority of people don't benefit. Um, but um, unless, we, and, and that will continue unless we undertake the kinds of policy changes that are really needed, that really are driving these effects. But the fact is we got this huge demand. We also have, um, you know, the world is stuck with the fact that the most, uh, the single commodity that is most important to the global economy, which is oil, is located in the most politically fragile um, and militarily active region of the world. And that's just the fact. And uh, ultimately, uh, you know, there's a significant risk premium built into energy prices. Um, And finally, the the other factor here is that we don't have a free market in energy. Um, we, we act as if we do, but the fact is, you know, the 13 largest oil companies in the world are state-owned. ExxonMobil, the largest private oil company in the world, ranks number 14 in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, these, are, these are prices that are ultimately significantly affected, if not set, by, the, by political decisions by the leaders of the major oil-producing or major oil-exporting countries. Um, and that's a fact. We don't have a market. Uh, what are if some we had the... a real market for energy, the price of energy would be a fifth of what it is today. Hmm. Um, what are some of the policy, you talked about need for policy changes. Uh, what are some of the policy changes you think that could help bring down oil prices uh, worldwide? Well... Ultimately, look, ultimately, um, the only thing that um, uh, the the real issue is wherever oil prices are, minimize the effect on your own economy. Um, The European economies are between 30 and 45 percent more energy efficient than the U.S. economy. That means it takes between 30 and 40 percent less energy to produce a dollar of GDP in Europe than it does in the United States. And um, so they're affected less by it because they consume less energy relative to what they're producing. Um, that's the, that is the direction the United States has to go in. We have to become significantly more energy efficient. The fact is the, in the 1970s when we saw the tripling of oil prices, the U.S. became significantly more energy efficient. Its energy efficiency grew an average of 5% a year throughout the 1970s. Then oil prices fell and it became very low. I mean, as low as it's hard to remember. It's but $10, $10 a barrel, I think, in 1986. Yeah. Um, and in 1998, again, right, $9 a barrel, I think. And, and that was actually because Saudi Arabia was trying to discipline Venezuela who um, was break, trying to break the OPEC quotas. The irony of that, incidentally, is that uh, because Saudi Arabia did break the Venezuelan effort to get around the quotas, it brought down a pro-Western government in Venezuela, and Hugo Chavez uh, rose up as the leader of Venezuela um, The last, as a result of that. A little irony of history there, but... Um, so you're basically saying increased energy efficiency in uh, the United States would be part of it. And then do you think more need for drilling central. and more need for exploration as well? Uh, there is more need for exploration, but there's much. The fact is 
we have all the energy we could possibly need, uh, but it's not light oil. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's other forms of oil. It's we have, you know, if you at actually at seventy to eighty dollars a barrel, oil from tar sands, which is mainly in Canada, and oil from shale becomes economically efficient if you were confident that the price was going to stay there. You would make the investment. Mm-hmm. And we've got more reserves in shale than Saudi Arabia does in the ground. And Canada has more reserves in tar sands than we do in shale. We're not, we're not short of oil. It's, uh, we're short of easy-to-extract light oil. Um, in addition, we know that at, at, the, at certain prices, um, we get um, solar technology becomes much more efficient, and uh, we're already seeing some shifts to natural gas. You know, one of the, one of the uh, uh, positive convergences <laughs> I think we're going to see here is that uh, I think we are going to take very significant action that will make the United States both more energy efficient and much less dependent on oil. But it won't be because of energy. It'll be because of climate change. Mm-hmm. That climate change is coming together with the energy problem um, to produce what is ultimately going to be higher prices for energy, or not necessarily higher than today, but certainly higher than two years ago and three years ago, on a permanent basis in a way which provides the economic incentives to really build out alternative energy sources and which are also more climate friendly um, and to tap into some conventional sources that are relatively more expensive uh, but that's um, you know economists look we'd rather see lower prices for everything Lower prices, like lower taxes, are always better for an economy than higher prices or higher taxes. But just as you have to have taxes to pay for the things that you think are important to your society, um, the price of energy should capture all of the costs. And that's how economists think, in order for an economy to be efficient. Well, the costs are not only how much it costs to get it out of the ground and refine it and move it to where people need it and put it in into the automobiles and the electricity plants where it's actually used, but also the environmental costs. That's part of the production cost, and we need to bear that cost as well. And if we do, I think we'll we'll have an efficient and much more energy efficient um, economy. The, the the truth is that if you know if if oil is thirty dollars a barrel or fifty dollars a barrel or seventy dollars a barrel, the economy can adjust to it, and we have adjusted to it, and people adjust to it. They make a thousand different small changes in their behavior in order to accommodate a rising cost. Um, And economies adjust, people adjust. Um, And for those people without the resources to adjust, we have a government that can try to offset that for it. And we have a charitable sector that can as well. The danger is when you have no certainty about the costs, and the costs are soaring and then falling. That's bad for business planning. It's bad for family planning. We need to have some really stability at a level that creates incentives for us to be less dependent on traditional sources of energy because there's nothing that's going to change the fact that most of the inexpensive light oil is in the Middle East and in parts of Africa and Latin America that are politically unstable, that will be part of war zones for as long as... You and I are around, and will always pose an enormous threat of instability in those markets. And look, the instability could become very drastic. We know that. We live in a world of radical 
Islamic fundamentalists, uh, whose main goal is not to bring down the United States, but to bring down the regime of Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, and um, the fact is that, you know, unfortunately, both production and uh, shipping of oil in Saudi Arabia is incredibly concentrated in just a few places, all of them very vulnerable to attack, to terrorists. Like, like the Strait of Hormuz, you mean? Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, and the, and um, moreover, the you know the Saudi regime. We know this is a a despotic family regime um, that um, is politically unstable and could be overthrown. Okay, we're actually going to go to a break. Thanks so much, Robert. Uh, this is uh, Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Robert Shapiro, whose new book is called Futurecast. How superpowers, populations, and globalization will change the way you live and work. We'll be back after this. The bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and The Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Small business owners, do you want answers to your most pressing financial concerns? Do you want to stop stressing about money and finally understand how to create wealth? Let Elizabeth Potts Weinstein and the Wealth Spa Radio Show answer your most pressing financial and legal questions about your small business and help you achieve business success and the lifestyle of your dreams easier and faster than you could imagine. The Wealth Spa Radio Show broadcasts live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Radio Network. Work. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Robert Shapiro, who's got a new book out called Futurecast, How Superpowers, Populations, and Globalization Will Change the Way You Live and Work. Uh, Robert was the uh, former principal economic advisor to uh, President Clinton. Uh, he was an undersecretary of commerce, um, and he's uh, had uh, all kinds of experience in Washington with uh, views on the economy. In your book, Robert, you talk about the demographic earthquake. Why don't you just briefly describe what, what is the demographic earthquake that's coming, and, and how is that going to affect us? Well, the earthquake is that we've got an unprecedented aging of the population of virtually every country in the world. Um, normally, um, uh, populations, national populations, increase very modestly generation by generation. This has been the pattern for hundreds of years. This is the first time on record that we have seen an unusually large generation, that was the baby boom, followed by an unusually small generation, that was the baby bust. We've, we've never seen this in a single country before, and now, but now we, we are seeing it in virtually every country of the world outside of 
sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East. It's happened across Asia, it's happened across Europe, it's, beginning, it's happening in Latin America and in the United States. And it really matters a lot. <laughs> it matters for a couple reasons. One is that um, in economic terms, uh, a lot of economic behavior is very age-specific. In particular, saving. People save normally between their mid-30s and their mid-50s. Before that, they're just saving because they're borrowing to buy houses and send themselves to college. And after that, they just save again because they're retiring. Um, Well, if the cohort of the population that's that age contracts, um, then saving rates fall. And in Japan, for example, the saving rate, and Japan really has the worst demographic problem, the, the, the most rapid aging of the population in the world, along with Italy. Because they had a baby bust after the World War II, is what you're saying, right? They well, didn't they have a had a, a big baby boom and then a very severe baby bust. The, the birth rate in uh, Japan today is 1.4. Uh, that's what it is in Italy as well. And a 2.0 is is the replacement rate. (laughs) That's how you keep stable. So they've got a contracting population, and uh, their saving rate has fallen from 25 to 5%. Moreover, their labor force is contracting at an average rate of about 1% a year. At the same time that the the numbers of elderly are growing at 3% a year. And a similar phenomenon is happening in much of Europe. Um, and actually, the United States escapes part of this problem because uh, we had a big baby boom and then we had a big baby bust. But the difference is that we have high immigration. So that the baby bust was, labor force was, has been enormously supplemented by immigrants. And the result is, and not only immigrants, but directly, but uh, immigrants tend to retain the birth rate of their native countries for one generation. So you have not only this flood of millions of immigrants expanding the labor force, and they're kind of a twofer because you get the worker and you don't get the, their aged parent, um, but in addition you've got higher birth rates among immigrant populations. Um, so the U.S. labor force is not projected to contract. It's projected to continue to increase at about a 1% annual rate. So that's a good thing. The bad thing is, for everybody, is that the whole world is looking at a very serious health care financing problem, even a crisis, over unfolding over the next 10 years. And this is really the result not only of these demographics, the fact that we've got this, the number of elderly people is growing three times as fast, at least as the labor force who pay the taxes that finance their health care, the, the health care of the elderly. But in addition, globalization has accelerated the pace of technological advance in medicine. And it in a very standard way, it's because the market has expanded, and when the market is larger, that means more companies are willing to invest more in R&D to develop the products to serve that market. So we have this acceleration in technological advance in medicine. That's a good thing for people's health, but it's very expensive. And it's meaning people are living a lot longer and therefore exacerbating the demographic uh, crunch here. Well, moreover, they're not only living longer, we, we are also the, you know, every, the, the population is moving into the age group where the most serious conditions are highly concentrated, and that is heart disease and cancer are highly concentrated in people 60 and over. And we keep on developing new technologies, new pharmaceuticals, new equipment, new procedures to treat these conditions. And these, but 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 they're very expensive. For example, um, pharmaceutical the pharmaceutical industry is moving from what are called small molecule 
pharmaceuticals, which are normal pills, to biologic-based treatments, the new biotech treatments. In today, there are 70 small molecule pills in second and third clinical stage clinical trials in the United States. There are 300 biologic-based treatments in second and third stage clinical trials. The problem is that biologic-based treatments, which just come out of the revolution in genomic science, you know, we decoded the genome, Mm -hmm. um, are on average 45 times as expensive as small molecule pills. So that's an example. We're moving into um, much more expensive treatments just at a time when the demand for those treatments is rising very, very fast. So what's going to happen in Japan, in Italy, in the United States, where you have this rising population of elderly people, and the financing is not there to, to cover? Are they going to raise taxes or cut benefits? How is this all going to work out in the next 10 years? They're going to do all of it. The problem is so large that, yes, they're going to raise taxes, um, and that will happen in the United States as well. Look, we already, the Medicare tax, for example, you know, as opposed to the Social Security tax, uh, has no cap. No. Right? It, it, as much as you make, you're taxed on it. Um, you know, they, they, they will move that tax rate up over time. But even ta- so, Medicare... will get greater. Pardon? Even with that level, Medicare is still kind of running off the rails pretty soon, Bankrupt. Right? <laughs> it's, 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 it's bailed out every year. And it's going to get... And it's already got this problem when the baby boomers haven't... Are, are just the leading edge of the baby boom is just turning 60 now. And um, this year and last year, well, looking out over the next 10 years, you're going to have 50 or 60 million additional people turn that age. And, um, and the cost of their treatment is going to continue to go up. The fact is we are going to do what other countries, we are likely to do what other countries have done, which is for the standard coverage for elderly people, we're going to, we are going to limit access to some treatments. Um, and I think we will move to a system, we won't call it price controls, which is what the healthcare systems in every other country, advanced country in the world have, uh, which is why they claim, you know, in other countries, 10 to 12 percent of GDP, and we claim for health care, and we claim 16 percent. But, but there will be very serious efforts at cost control. We'll call it cost control instead of price and wage controls. And it'll produce the equivalent of price and wage controls, but it'll be cost controls. And there are a lot of things that, you know, look, there, there are a lot of ways in which costs can be reduced. There was, without sacrificing quality of care, uh, but we just haven't tried to do it. The, um, it was a recent study by the Johnson, Johnson Foundation um, that found that the, uh, they, they compared the cost of treating the same condition in the same kinds of patients in a sample that had the same outcome, same outcomes in the Mayo Clinic and in Los Angel- the Los Angeles hospital system. Mm-hmm. And, and the Mayo Clinic, which is, after all, the gold standard of medical care in the United States, delivered the same service with the same outcomes uh, for about one-third less money that, than the L.A. hospitals. Because it's run by the government? It's much more inefficient? Is that what you're saying? The- no, I think it's a because there haven't been any incentives, enough incentives in in the system to get the L.A. hospitals to control their, to pay greater attention to controlling their costs because they've got stronger unions, probably, um, because, you know, patients don't demand more efficient care because they're not bearing the direct cost of the treatment. They bear the cost of the insurance, but that's already a given cost. Mm-hmm. So they want as much treatment as possible and the most expensive treatment as possible, even if alternatives might be just as successful. They want to stay in hospitals longer. A lot of, a lot of the difference has to do with um, the Mayo Clinic um, uh, moving people out of hospitals m- much more quickly and, uh, and home. 
uh, and uh, without apparently any sacrifice in in um, the quality because the outcomes were the same. Uh, so, you know, the fact is, you know, one of the problems of being such a such a rich society as the United States and such an innovative society is we have had less pressure to confront these problems. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons you've got price controls in Europe is because those economies are not as strong as ours. And the average income of Americans is between 28 and 40% higher than the average income of Britons, French, Germans, or Japanese. And by 2020, the average income of Americans will be 50% higher than the average income of Europeans and Japanese. Um, We're a better functioning economy. We produce a lot more wealth. We're not distributing it very well right now. Um, Well, we'll come back. Very good. (laughs) Okay, we're going to go to a break. Again, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is uh, Robert Shapiro, whose new book is called Futurecast, How Superpowers, Populations, and Globalization Will Change the Way You Live and Work. We'll be back after this. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Achieve total wealth management. Listen to three-dimensional wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, right here on Voice America Business. Three-Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a value-based approach to comprehensive wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road to financial independence. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Robert Shapiro, uh, whose new book is called Futurecast, How Superpowers, Populations, and Globalization Will Change the Way you live and work. Welcome back to the show, Robert. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, George. We've, we've talked about this uh, demographic uh, time bomb, the po- aging of the population. We've talked about the rising energy costs. We've talked about uh, globalization in the workforce. Now let's talk a little bit about how people should be uh, dealing with these major forces. Maybe let's just start on the investment front a little bit. Um, where should people be investing uh, to take advantage of these trends and not be investing to avoid the the pain that is still to come from all these trends. Right. Well, uh, depends on your time horizon, of course. But look, the first, the first place to be invested is in the United States. The United States has the highest rate of return <coughs> on capital of any advanced country. Um, so, a you know, index investments in the United States are sound uh, over the long term. I would also be invested in the large emerging markets, 
that means invested in China, invested in India. I would invest, you know, the, the single greatest economic success story of the last 50 years is South Korea. Mm-hmm. I, South Korea is astonishing, the, the, uh, the progress they made. In 2007 dollars, the average income has risen in South Korea from, from $500 in 1960 to $18,000 today. So there's nobody else with that kind of record. So I, I think the Koreans are amazing. It's an amazing economy. But are there specific uh, sectors or industries that you think are going to benefit? Sure. I think in the doing? short run, until, until <coughs> cost controls kick in, I think health care is got to be a good buy. <laughs> the other thing which is a good buy is advanced technologies. And the reason is that uh, I'm talking about sectors. I never talk about companies because I don't know enough about each company. But um, uh, the fact is that the global market for these technologies is growing very rapidly. And the United States has enormous advantages in these sectors. So, again, without uh, getting into companies, what kind of advanced technologies are you talking about you'd want to invest in? Uh, we're talking about information technologies, communication technologies, and I would and biotech technologies. I think that... but. But in particular, information, uh, the large information technologies um, and communication technologies, because the because they're critical to the modernization of these very fast growing societies, and so I think they're a very good buy. If I, you know, look, I I think that uh, electricity generating producers, that is, the people who produce the plants. To generate electricity, um, they got to be a good buy because we know that in the large emerging countries, they are building um, uh, hundreds and hundreds of new new electricity generating plants every year in China and India and Indonesia and Bangladesh. So you've got a big market for that. Um, so all the of those are are I think. Pretty good long-term buys, um, but there's a there's a there there's something else that investors have to be aware of, and that is globalization is bringing back boom and bust markets. It's a very interesting phenomenon, um, and it really what's happened is we have this, particularly in asset asset markets. The housing, housing is the most obvious. The, the housing boom and then bust in the United States uh, uh, was not unique. There were bigger housing bubbles in Australia and England and France um, and Italy and um, any number of other countries, and they're all busting now. That is, this has been a global phenomenon. It's also the case that stock markets around the world the volatility of stock markets has doubled in the last 10 years relative to the preceding 20 years. And the reason for this is that uh, we've got this explosion in global capital because of the fast-rising, fast-growing, developing countries with very high saving rates. You know, you've got a 40% saving rate in China because they have no health care coverage. And no pension coverage. So everybody saves because they're terrified of getting sick mm-hmm. and getting old. So that's how you get a 40% saving rate. Uh, so you've got this enormous expansion in global savings, and it's all going into the global capital pool. Um, but the intensification of competition, remember, that we talked about before, is holding down inflation because companies can't raise their prices. The question is, where does all that monetary pressure go to? It's gone into asset markets. That's what produced this global housing bubble, which eventually will burst. And it's produced, in many countries, stock market bubbles. Um, Not in the United States since 2000, but in many other, but in emerging markets. And so, you know, these dynamics are not going away. And so I believe that we will see more asset bubbles. 
So you want to ride it in the beginning at least, and but know that it's going to burst. We see it in the art market, another asset class. Okay, I want to talk before we have to end here. I want to talk also about your career and uh, how somebody you know wanting to should map out their career based on <laughs> these huge globalization changes here. Well, I think that there are a couple things. One is um, you have to have skills that are in global demand. Um, and the skills that are in global demand in advanced countries are the ability to operate at very high levels with ideas. This is an idea-based economy. U.S. companies now spend more on intangible assets than they do on their physical assets. Two-thirds of the value of U.S. corporations is now based on their intangible assets. These are ideas and uh, in various forms. So being able to apply those ideas, and in particular for everybody, being able to operate effectively in a business environment that is dense with the technologies that manage and transmit those ideas, which is information technologies, is simply a, it's as important as reading and writing. Um, that um, your IT, both your IT skills and your capacity to operate in a workplace in which you're surrounded by information technologies and always interacting with them um, is absolutely critical. And um, look, the United States is the is is the world's leading producer of high-end business personal and financial services. Those are areas that in which global demand is rising very fast um, and where the United States has, has a big advantage. So you're in global demand. Those skills, I think, are very important. We just uh, have about a minute to go, Robert. Just as, as an overall summing up of things, would you say that you're overall optimistic or pessimistic about the way things are going based on all these trends you've talked about in the book? Well, I'm optimistic for the United States. Um, I'm optimistic both because we have a lot more strengths in globalization than the other advanced economies for various reasons, and because the United States, because Americans, when they can recognize what a problem is, they're pretty good at fixing it. Less optimistic about Europe and Japan. Very good. Okay, well, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a fascinating interview on what's going on in the, in the future here. It's dr thank dramatic you, as it's going to be. Uh, I've been pleasure. speaking with uh, Robert Shapiro, whose new book is called Futurecast, How Superpowers, Populations, and Globalization Will Change the Way You Live and Work. It's really been quite fascinating. So thanks very much for being on the show, Robert. Thank you, Jordan. And we'll be back again next week. Thanks again. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.